Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. Welcome to this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Russ Parker and Dustin Huffman will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. Well, the drought has been no joke once again this year. It seems that unless we have a flood, parts of Iowa are in desperate need of rain. Because of the length of time certain counties have spent in D2 drought and the return of D3 drought in parts of the state, the United States Department of Agriculture has opened the opportunity of emergency haying and grassing of CRP acres in Buena Vista, Clay, Ida, Palo Alto, Pocahontas, and Sac counties. With six Iowa counties restricted under emergency haying criteria based on LFP triggers, Cherokee, Monona, O'Brien, Plymouth, Sioux, and Woodbury. Kurt Goch is Conservation Program Chief for the Iowa Farm Service Agency. He says the LFP restrictions are meant to protect the cover and the soil during severe drought. While there are options available to hay and graze these extremely stressed acres, producers will only be able to use 50% of the acreage at most. The idea is to protect the dry soil, which could lose stability if too much grass is taken off of it. Producers who have CRP acres that they intend to use during the emergency period do not have to worry about losing their CRP payment. This is an emergency declaration for the feeding of livestock that depend on grass and forage as a food source. Normally, the USDA offers haying and foraging of CRP land for a 25% reduction in CRP payments. This will not apply in these areas during this time. Farmers can meet up with their local FSA offices to get the application process going. In other news, larger loans continued to boost lending activity in the second quarter of 2022 while farm loan interest rates edged higher. The Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City says the volume of non-real estate agriculture loans grew steadily alongside an increase in the number and average size of loans. Interest rates remained historically low but continued to increase in recent quarters and on nearly all types of farm loans as benchmark rates continued rising. And that's all the time we have for news headlines this week. We'll go ahead and kick it over to Russ Parker with this faith-based food for thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. We welcomed Mark Magnuson to our ranks as our newest member this week. He's a welcome addition, and we're looking forward to him becoming a voice for ag advocacy. One of the items Mark was greeted with on his first day in the office was a brand new laptop computer. And most of the time when we get something new, that's a cause for excitement. But for those of you who have gotten a new computer or a cell phone, excitement might not be the best descriptor. I think the thought for the day, as we talked about next steps for the laptop, was all about patience. The first task was to set up his email account, which in itself is an easy process. If you take time to read all the instructions, make sure you follow all the instructions, be sure to type accurately, and make sure you know all of the passwords. I can tell you, all did not go smoothly. And as the old guy, I was so happy to hear the words, I figured it out. And so the process continued, loading in software programs, getting registered on websites, getting common files and folders shared, getting recording devices connected. It turned out to be a full day. One not meant for the technology challenged. And all of this, here's the point. If that laptop doesn't have the email system in place or hooked up properly to the recording devices or can't access the files it needs, there's no sense to even turning the start button on every day. Frankly, 
I've had the same kind of experience with the new cell phone I got recently. The old one worked just fine, and I was accustomed to making a phone call, searching my contacts, checking and sending emails and texts without even thinking about it. The new phone, I quickly discovered, does not come out of the box ready to go. Starting with, it doesn't feel like the old phone. It doesn't turn on like the old phone. It doesn't remember all the passwords. Kind of like the new computer. And maybe, unfortunately, that phone is an integral part of my life. Our lives, it seems, are in a constant state of change. And keeping up with change is, in some ways, kind of like what we experience when we get a new computer or a cell phone. And it seems we constantly need to load or upgrade ways to process new and more information. Sometimes this can be overwhelming and frustration levels melt our operating systems. I'm aware of an operating system that does not change. A place where we can go and never need to worry about if there's a new start button or a software upgrade. And its message is always constant and true. From Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. That's it for segment one on this week's episode. Coming up after this short break, Dustin brings us a report from his trip to Keokuk last month. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Hi, my name is Ethan Smith, and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for about six years. The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it helps keep me informed on new topics and research around the industry, including soils, insects, diseases, and much more. It's also a great way to network with others around the state and beyond. Iowa is known for its crops, and that's why we're here. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. Towards the end of last month, I had the chance to go to Keokuk and tour the Lock and Dam Number 19 along the Mississippi River. That tour was hosted by the Iowa Soybean Association as part of their District 9 meeting. We had the chance to talk about transportation along the river. We had a chance to talk about how the lock and dam systems need to be updated and how even though at 70 years old, this lock and dam system is considered to be one of the newer ones of the 26 between St. Paul and St. Louis. In fact, you can find all that content online at iowaagnet.com. And as District 9 of the Iowa Soybean Association was hosting the meeting, I had a chance to talk with their own director, Pat Swanson. She talked about both what's going on in her district and also what's going on at ISA with the headquarters in Ankeny, talking about what's being done with checkoff dollars and what her farmers need to know and what farmers across the whole state need to know. Pat, you're District 9, correct? Yes. All right, so tell us a little bit about, first of all, what's going on in District 9 for the farmers here in this area of the state? What do they need to know, uh, you know going into this part of the year? You know, one of the things that we're seeing in this part of the state, of course, we're always concerned about the weather, right? That's the main thing that farmers are worried about with the, uh, the dry dry weather right now and the heat you know we're seeing a lot of farmers um, you know concerned about that hoping just to get a little bit of rain 
Uh, we continue to get just a little, kind of, I could say we're being spoon-fed water right now in, in our part of the state. I, we live in Ottumwa, so, um, you know, that's the main thing. So yeah, things that are coming up on the, with the Iowa Soybean Association, we're having a big presence at the Iowa State Fair this year, so please come out and see us. We're also going to be at the Farm Progress Show, and uh, we definitely want to see our farmers there and get a chance to talk to them and, and uh, you know, hear their issues and hear what we can do to help them out. And hopefully, uh, you know, we're trying to be good stewards of their checkoff dollars. And so, you know, we want to know what they're doing or what concerns they have. And we're also working on policy all the time. That's just something that we can never let up on. A new farm bill's coming up in 2023. And so we want to make sure that we are focused on what our farmers need out here to keep them sustainable and, and successful. So definitely policy is always on top of mind for us. So we're down here in Keokuk today, obviously Lock and Dam 19 right behind you over your shoulder there. We got to go on a great tour of that facility. We saw farmers from different parts of the state too, not just District 9 that were in attendance. How important is for them to see something like this, and which is a vital part of our exports here in the state? Absolutely. You know, I th think Warren mentioned it in our meeting here today about how how many of the soybeans are shipped down this river, the Mississippi, and how important it is that we're able to continue building the locks and dams, improving on them, making them larger, and so our soybeans can get down this river and, and off to down the Gulf of Mexico and off to all over the world, you know, especially China and the Philippines. We're seeing um, even in the UK where there's those soybeans need to be shipped out. So we're trying to do what we can to keep this river as progressive as possible and help us at, on the farm keep our prices up. Obviously, infrastructure has been talked about for decades in agriculture, but it really came to the forefront again here in the last couple of years. We have the infrastructure bill go through. I mean, what's it going to take? I mean, obviously, this is not going to be enough to, to fix everything that needs to be taken care of. But when you talk about vital places like these locks and dams, the rails that we see across the road, the bridges for the, for the truck traffic just across the river as well. I mean, there's a lot of work that needs to be done that just seems like little projects, but it all adds up over time. You know, and we're seeing it right at our farm. We had a bridge that was, you know, embargoed three ton. I mean, that's like our pickup can go across it. So we, you know, right from the farm gate is where we need to really be focusing on infrastructure. At our farm, we were able to get, the county was able to find funds to put a new bridge in for us to help us get our crop from our farm into the elevators and to where we like to ship our grain to. So it's it's right from the farm gate is important as as it is to the rail and the Mississippi. So obviously State Fair coming up, big important time. People come from all over the state. Great time for ag to work with urban people uh, and, and spread that story. What can farmers do? What can they expect from the Soybean Association during those 10 days? We will be there to talk to farmers. We like to be or not talk to farmers, talk to consumers. We like to be right there talking to, to the people that are buying our food and, and let them know what we're doing on our farm is, is, is very important to us that we keep the food safe. I mean, our family's living right there and we want to make sure that the water is clean and that we have the soils, we're protecting them and making sure they're going to be productive for, for generations to come. We're the sixth generation on our farm and, and we are very serious about protecting that farm for the next six generations. Well, and the thing is, you know, people often sometimes forget that farmers are consumers too, just as much as anybody in the city, and obviously want to use the lakes, the rivers, everything else, just like everybody else does. So we're in the same boat with wanting to protect it and make sure our soil and everything is good to pass on to those six generations and maybe more if we're lucky. Absolutely. No, it's, 
you know that's exactly right we're I'm a mom just like like the moms out there that are in the grocery store trying to make those decisions on what they're going to be putting on their family's table and I'm 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 a mom too and I and now I'm a grandma which is awesome and I'm really enjoying that and of course that's important to me too to make sure that we we're serve you know have food that's safe and and of course affordable you know that's a big issue right now is is the cost of everything and and people need to know the farmers aren't getting those extra dollars it's unfortunate but the prices are going up and you know we're just doing everything we can to keep going ourselves how are farmers doing at telling the story we've, we've talked about that just years ago it seemed like it'd be easier to get chinese nuclear secrets and then then the, the, the <laughs> have a farmer tell their story but obviously it needs to be told so we don't have these misconceptions is it something that's starting to carry on and catch on more and what can be done yet to improve you know what we're finding i'm involved in common ground iowa which is also a women's group with women talking to women really is what that group's about and talking to moms and and consumers and you know we're just we're trying our best to tell our story, show people what we're doing on our farm, you know, show them what we're doing with our how we're raising our cattle and how we're taking good care of them. And so we really are trying to sh tell that story. But you know, it's it's a process. We all need to be telling our story. And sometimes we get so busy and involved in our lives and just trying to stay ahead of it. You know, or I, I know on our farm, it's always, there's always something to do, especially when you have livestock. You know, now we're just finishing putting up some more hay you know there's always stuff to do but it's still we have to remember that we if if we don't have consumers trusting us then we don't have there's no reason for us to grow these this food so it's important okay last question for you pat if people want to find out more about what the iowa soybean association is doing especially with their checkoff dollars where do they find that information you know we are at iowa soybean association you can go to our website the iasoybeans.com you can uh, contact myself or any of the other 22 of us on the district or on the uh, board of directors and we'd love to talk to you and help you get if you want to get more involved in with the Iowa Soybean Association we're always looking for volunteers so we would love to hear from you. All right thank you very much. That again was Iowa Soybean Association District 9 Director Pat Swanson. You can learn more about what the Iowa Soybean Association has going on and how they're using your checkoff dollars by going to www.iasoybeans.com. Well, that wraps up this segment of Weekend Ag Matters. We'll kick things back over to Riley Smith when we come back. What's your idea of fun? Catching a concert? Hanging with friends? Whatever it is, find your fun at the Iowa State Fair. 11 days of concerts free with your gate admission. Catch Adam Doliak, Colt Ford, Quiet Riot, Slaughter, Resurrection, A Journey Tribute, and Latino Celebration. Plus, fair favorites like Hairball and the Nadas. Nothing compares to the music and fun of the Iowa State Fair. August 11th through 21st. Start finding your fun at iowastatefair.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Well, the weather's been getting hot and hotter, which is putting some stress on crops around the state. This is compounded in the areas that have already seen drought conditions as well. DeKalb Asgro technical agronomist Andrew Penny provided us an update on the current crop conditions in Iowa. Yeah, Riley. So it's 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 been an interesting year. You know, I, I feel like the new normal is is just a wide range of environmental conditions. Uh, so, you know, central Iowa, we went from extremely saturated to 
you know, we're not, we're not under terribly dry conditions, but, you know, there was a period where we definitely needed rain. So we, we definitely had, you know, two extremes in a, in a short period of time. And then, you know, you go up to areas like Northwest Iowa, they're, they're, they're in a pretty bad need of raiding spots. So, you know, looking at the crops, uh, there's, there's definitely a wide range of, you know, how the crops are looking when it comes to both corn and soybeans. You know, I, I feel like for the most part, soybeans are probably looking a little worse, um, depending on, I think row width, row width makes a, a big difference this year. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think the one thing I've been talking to with, with people about and, you know, trying to set expectations, uh, especially in some of those, you know, 30 inch soybeans, you know, for, for maximum yield potential to occur, we, we like full canopy at R1 and a, a lot of fields just weren't even close to that. So I think that gives you a good feel for, you know, kind of where we're sitting with, with some of those late planted soybeans. Despite these drought conditions, Penny said we could still see great yields as evidenced by last year's crop. And, you know, I, I think there's, like I said, there's areas that definitely need rain. But, you know, I, I think one of the biggest takeaways from last year is, you know, we, we were dry last year and we were pretty droughty in, in certain areas. And, and yet we still had a lot of a lot of the state and a lot of growers that had the highest yields they've ever had. So, you know, I, I think the, one of the biggest takeaways from last year is that we, we know that that corn and especially soybeans just don't like wet feet. And so, you know, even though we're dry, um, you know, I, I think there's areas that are getting timely rains and um, there are areas that, that, that definitely need rain right now. But, you know, I, I think there's still from from what I've seen, there's still a lot of really good looking crops. You know, you get you get outside central Iowa where they were where they weren't, you know, completely saturated. There's some really good looking crops in, in southeast Iowa, east Iowa, uh, definitely, definitely southwest Iowa. So uh, still still a lot of potential. And, and, and same with beans. You know, some of some of those growers that got beans in early, um, definitely 15 inch rows. I, th I think we'll see a difference this year just because of the, the late planting in some in some areas. So I still think there's a there's a lot of potential. But, um, you know, there are going to be issues, especially in corn when it comes to nitrogen um, in, in some of those areas that got you know, that had a, had a lot of rain early on. As we've mentioned many times recently, most of the rainfall we get comes in the form of severe weather events. However, we need to strike a balance where we get enough rain while avoiding most of the intense damage. Penny said the derechos caused a bit of wind damage to crops in the northern part of the state, especially with the surprise storms that we saw overnight a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, there, there was definitely some damage. You know, we had, we had that first one that went through, boy, Hopefully my timeline's correct, but, you know, I think it was about three weeks ago, three and a half. And, and then we had that second one come through kind of unexpectedly overnight. That was a, a week after that, roughly. And so, you know, kind of kind of similar, similar uh, trajectory or, or pattern that that, you know, the, the derecho in 2020 had. It, it seems like those winds coming from northwest Iowa to, to southeast Iowa, you know, that that's kind of where the area that was hit. And so, you know, that that first one that went through. You know, we, we kind of lucked out, I think, because it, it was still, you know, the sun was still out. You know, we, we were we were close to dark. You know, it was later in the daytime uh, when that wind came through. And, you know, that's that's always a good thing because, um, you know, there's there's uh, less trigger pressure in a plant when the, when the sun's out. And so when that when that second one came through unexpectedly at, at, you know, during the night, we saw a little bit more green snap because, you know, simply because there's more trigger pressure in a plant at night when those, when those stomata are closed. And, and so that was a little bit more, more damaging, but there, there were areas, you know, as you get further Northwest in the state where, where that first storm, you know, definitely impacted some, 
some some corn. But but the good thing, you know, there there was a lot of lodging, um, and so you know we were early enough in in, in the the developmental stages that you know that corn stood up pretty well. Penny also provided an update on the pest and disease issues we've seen so far this year. Yeah, so so rootworm uh, has continued, you know, from uh, 2020, 2021, uh, we're, we're continuing to see those hot spots with, with, uh, pretty high populations and, and some pretty good feeding in some areas. Um, you know, tar spot, uh, that, that's, that's been on a topic of discussion here the last year or two. And, you know, it's, it's popped up, you know, we had, we had some counties confirmed maybe two to two and a half weeks ago, roughly, uh, give or take. And, you know, I, I just haven't seen it spread. So I, I think you got to go closer or, you know, move east before it's, it, it becomes more common. But, you know, I, I think that the dry week will probably delay some of the, the disease or the dry warm week that we're, you know, potentially expecting next week could could delay some of that that disease progression. But, you know, all, all it takes, especially with a disease like like tar spot, all it takes is, is a few days of, of, of moisture and humidity and leaf wetness to to flare up pretty quick. So. Yeah, so I, I think the biggest biggest topics this year are still, um, you know, corn rootworm pressure um, in, in tar spot. One of the most obnoxious perennial pests is the Japanese beetle. No matter what happens, it seems that we always see a huge explosion of them in the middle of the summer. Penny said even the larva can cause some real damage to young crops. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it, Japanese beetles are a tricky one. You know, I, I see them every year. It, it seems like no matter what, what kind of environmental conditions we have, they're, they're always around. You know, last year there there was an area where um, I, I could I could dig corn plants early on and and still find you know before the the adults uh, Japanese beetles emerged from from the soil, I could I could find one to two uh, you know the white grubs in in the in the soil uh, with each plant that I dug. So you know last year I was expecting just an infestation in this area and, and it never got to be too bad. So you know it. It's one of those things where, yeah, Japanese beetles are always around. You know, I deal with them on on our farm, um, but but there's spots where it it seems like they're they're more prominent and, and consistent as far as their impact on on corn. And yeah, they, they just really like to feed on those silks. So if if you get high enough population, um, they they can definitely impact uh, you know pollination in in similar situation in soybeans. You know, I've already heard of a few fields this year that that people have sprayed just because. The, the Japanese beetle pressure is is so high, or population so high, that they're they're feeding on on those plants, and it's it's noticeable from the road. So so when you get that kind of feeding going on, it can be uh, pretty impact pretty impactful and detrimental to to soybean growth and in yields. Penny added that the late planting in particular will have an impact on this year's soybean crop. I th I think the biggest the biggest one <clears throat> biggest one is is probably some of the the late planting that went on and and then on top of that the the saturated soils uh drown out spots you know there there's a decent amount of replants in in the central part of the state and and so i, I think that's going to continue to have the biggest impact on on what we see as far as yields you know again going back to kind of setting the stage you know we could have a, a a good growing good growing conditions in august you know get some of those rains that we always like to see when it comes to, to high soybean yields but you know, like like I've been telling people, we, we can still get that and still see some pretty decent yields. But I, I think because of of some of those setbacks we saw early on from from the you know the late planting dates, lack of canopy closure at at R one, and and you know some of the, some of the yet to be seen or determined um, 
root, root rots and, and diseases that, that might have set in early. You know, I think we, we, we could have seen more potential bushels come out of the fields if, if we didn't encounter some of those early season problems. With varying conditions, different regions have different needs. Penny explained what he thinks each region needs for the rest of the growing season. I think the biggest thing, you know, uh, central Iowa, uh, definitely be looking for, you know, nit nitrogen deficiency, you know, with, with some of those, well, with the, with the saturated soils that we saw early on, you know, I think, I think we're going to see a pretty good response from, from growers at side dressed. And, and, you know, anytime we start lacking or, you know, being, being short on, on nitrogen, potassium, some of the, the macros and obviously micros matter, but you know, that, that, that can definitely impact stock quality and in, in, in yield. So, so that, that's probably my, my main concern in corn right now is, is just, you know, in, in the areas where the, there was plenty of, of moisture, you know, nit nitrogen deficiency and stock quality. I, I think some of the areas right now, you know, there, there's a lot of fields that are tasseling and, and pollinating right now. You know, as you go to Northwest Iowa and in some of the areas that are a little bit drier, you know, uh, pollen is, is extremely impacted by, um, you know, the, the higher temperatures. Whereas your silks are 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 uh, more impacted by by drier conditions, so you know the the droughty conditions that we're experiencing in, in some of the parts, you know, northwest Iowa, uh, southwest southeast Iowa, um, you know that that can impact silk uh, silk development, silk elongation, and you know it, it can it can uh, really impact the you know the anthesis silking interval between you know pollen shed and, and silking. So so that that's probably my, my main concern in, in the drier areas is just uh, you know, the whole pollination process, because we have about a two week window before and after pollination and, and fertilization where we can still, um, it, you know, negatively impact uh, seed set and, and the number of kernels we'll eventually get to, get to harvest. That again was DeKalb Asgro technical agronomist Andrew Penny. And that's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker and Dustin Huffman, I'm Riley Smith, wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters.